invite you to open up your Bibles to the book of Jude. Looking at the first couple of verses of this beautiful epistle, powerful epistle, and then Lord willing, we'll be studying this for the next few weeks as we look down. And I encourage you to read it and pray about it and and get familiar with the book as we study this. It's an amazing time we live in right now. Um, Jesus, he 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 said this in Luke eighteen eight. He said, "When the Son of Man comes." Will he find faith on the earth? I mean, who's really going to be believing in Christ when he comes back? You ever think about that for a moment? Um, there are so many people turning away from God. There are so many people who start out saying, I believe, and then end up saying, I don't believe. And we have the famous ones, right, that we know of. And then we have the not-so-famous ones that are more dear to our hearts, that are our friends and family members and people that we know that were once sitting in churches and now want nothing to do with God. Um, we get all excited about last week. Last week was an exciting week. Why? It was Easter week. We see a lot of CEOs during that time. And you guys know who they are, right? The CEO Christians. What are they? The Christmas and Easter only ones, right? And we get all excited about the CEOs. As they start coming to church and we say, wow, we got, well, look at all the people coming. But really, the question is, is how is our relationship with God? I want you to listen to some of the people that in recent days and years have, have said things about their relationship with God. This, this, this singer from Hillsong, Marty Sampson, he said this, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith. I, Christians... Listen to what he says. Can be the most judgmental people on the planet. Is that true? In a lot of ways it is. He said, they can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people. But it's not for me. He says, I am not in anymore. He's done. Look at this next one. After announcing his divorce, Joshua Harris, who's a pastor and would preach amazing messages... And he actually wrote that book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, a beautiful book to read before prom. You know, I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and, and um, I actually have a book out called Dating Kiss Me Goodbye. But anyway, that's a different one. But that's when I was looking for a wife. But um, listen to what he says here. He goes, I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular pr- phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements I have for defining a Christian, listen to what he says, I am not a Christian. Here's a pastor who would preach messages and then gets before people and he says, I am not a Christian. What happened? This is incredible. Listen to this pastor. 40 years of uh, another one, uh, 40 years of being a devout follower, 20 years of being a pastor. He says this, I am walking away from the faith. Even though this has been a massive bomb drop in my life, it has been decades in the making. It's happening more and more. It's incredible. And, and, and it's getting harder and harder. And 
Whenever I think I'm discouraged and really hit bottom, Rick sends me a text. And, and I thought I hit bottom, and then I read the text, and I still haven't hit bottom. I really have to go a little bit further than that. And he sends me this beautiful text on how pastors are tired. I mean, it really encouraged my day. But really, it was amazing. Because it talked about why pastors are tired. And it's not because of all the Easter stuff. And it's not because even the sewer stuff, even though that exhausted me. It's because of the culture that we live in. that is so anti-Christian. It is incredible. It is exhausting. It, it, it makes you want to get on the internet and say, is FedEx still hiring? I mean, that was a lot easier to deliver packages than to get up and deliver a message because people just aren't interested anymore. And it's a dying thing. Listen to what I got. A, I got a message this week, uh, Friday, a text message from a pastor friend of mine. He sent me a message. How are you? Whenever they send that, you know something's going on. So you send the message back. I, I'm doing okay. How are you? Um... This has been a really rough week. I want to leave the ministry. Uh, I wrote him back. Do you have time for a call? So we talked for an hour. And here's what he said. He said, since I've been there, there are more people leaving the church than coming. He says, since I've been there, more have left than have come. And so right now, if this keeps up, there is no hope. The church will die. It is bleak. And he says, I feel like a failure. You could just hear the pain in his heart. And I wish I could tell him everything's going to be great. You just keep preaching. You have a church of 500 next week. I can't guarantee that because it is hard and things are happening. In fact, listen, listen to what the Bible says. It says in the later times, people will fall away from the faith. They will pay attention to deceitful spirits. They will believe in the doctrine of demons. Oh, this is getting exciting. Aren't you excited? I mean, I'm getting really excited about this. Look at this. They won't endure sound doctrine, but they'll raise up for themselves teachers that they want that will tickle their ears. Some are coming and they want to hear a church about how wonderful you are and how, how much this God loves you and just keep living the way you are and everything and then you're going to make a million bucks and everything. They leave there and go, wow, that was a great message. They are mounting up, they are raising up teachers that they want to hear that will help them self-help when they miss out what the Bible teaches. I was blown away this, this week when I heard this, that um, one of Chuck Swindoll's members of his church was on a plane. And as he was on a plane, he was sitting next to a lady and they were in first class and all this food starts coming. And he asked the lady, so why aren't you eating? She goes, I'm fasting. Oh, you're a believer, you're fasting. She goes, no, no, I'm from the church of Satan. I'm fasting right now because we're praying that God, that Satan, not God, Satan, will make a hundred leaders fail this month. They're praying for us to fail. They want us to fall. They want us to go away. That's why this book of Jude is so important for us. We need to study it. We need to really understand it. We need to go through it, and we are going to go through it slowly. I, I could go through it in a couple of sermons if I wanted to, but I decided to go through it slower. And really, I want us to enjoy this book and really understand this book and see what God is saying through this book. The, fir the first thing we got to understand about the book is Jude's name is not Jude. You're like, wait a minute here. I'm reading the Bible right now. It says Jude. Well, in the Greek, 
His name is Judas. In fact, in all other languages, it's Judas, but, but, but here in English, we have Jude. Why? Why doesn't it have Judas? Because he doesn't want us to think about who's the other Judas. Judas or what? Iscariot. And so we have the word Jude here. In fact, Judas back then at this time was a very common name. There's several of them in the Bible that we know of. Um, interesting, two of the apostles were Judas. People named their name, kids named Judas. Later on, after the New Testament was written, people started, to, and they got used to Paul and Peter, they started to name their uh, children Paul and Peter. They started to name their dogs. Are you ready for this? Nero and Caesar. Right? So interesting. If you see somebody and they name their dogs Trump and Biden, you know why. Right? That would be the equivalent of today. Interesting what they thought of politics back then. And then, and then we, have, we have here that, but Judas, did become, it was a popular name, but later on after Judas Iscariot, nobody wanted to name their kid Judas. Because he is one of the greatest apostates that we know in the Bible. The one that started with Jesus and walked with Jesus, and then he no longer walked with Jesus. Now, now look at this book. Let's, let's study it together here. He starts off by uh, using the word Jude here in our English text with Judas in the, in the Greek text. And look how he identifies himself. And here's, here's some comforting truths that we need to understand here. In the midst of all that's going on in the world, there are some comforting truths that we can take from here today and understand about ourselves. We need to know who we are in Jesus Christ. Watch this here in verse 1. He says this. He goes, Jude, and he starts off calling himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, we, we, we know from other study that, that, that Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. He was one of Jesus' four brothers. Did Mary have more children after Jesus? Yes, she did. Brothers and sisters, which is interesting. And, 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 and Jude was named last, so really he's probably the youngest of the brothers of Jesus. But he doesn't mention that. He starts off by saying this. It's not about my earthly relationship to Jesus Christ. He says, it's about my heavenly relationship with Jesus Christ. And he says here, I am a bondservant. I am a doulos of Jesus Christ. That, that word literally means this. One who is solely committed to another. So let me ask you this. Can you say here this morning that you are solely committed to Jesus Christ? That he is your master. That he calls the shots. That he is the ruler of your life. You see, a true servant of Christ doesn't get to choose how they want to serve. I had to learn that very early in our, our ministry because I was part of a church in Iowa and I get a call after studying for years the Bible and I had my degree and I'm all excited to, to preach the Bible to people and I get a call saying, Jeremy, you need to help a lady in the church. I said, oh, that's great. I'll go do a Bible study with her. I'll go help her. No, no, you need to help her. Her basement's flooded. I said, do you know who I am? <laughs> I'm an MDiv student. I've studied 99 hours of the Bible at that time. I'm not going to go help somebody with their basement flooded. No, Jeremy, we are servants. That's who we are. Oh, wait a minute. I missed that in seminary. He starts, and he doesn't say, if, if, if this was me writing the letter, I'd say, hey, my name is Jeremy. By the way, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. Hello. Do you know who I am? They didn't even mention that. He says, I am a bondservant. I am a doulos of Jesus Christ. 
You say, why is this important, Jeremy? Why are you harping on this word? Here's why. Because unless this happens in our hearts, we will never understand the Bible the way God wants us to understand it. Yes. You say, where's that in the Bible? Look with me in Revelation 1.1. I don't have the verses on the, on the screen, sorry. We're just going to have to turn our Bibles or our iPads or our phones or whatever we have it on. And let's look at Revelation 1.1 here for a moment. I want to show you something. It says this. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to who? His bond servants. The ones who have a ruler, a king, and his name is Jesus. In other words, it's saying that when it's talking about the last times, he's saying this, I am going to show these last times, not just to anybody ordinary, I am going to show these last times to people who are doulas, or people who are bond servants of God. This is why a lot of the Bible makes no sense to us. Because unless we are fully submitting to Christ and allowing him to be the king and the ruler of our lives, we're going to miss out on other things. We, we want to learn other things in the Bible and it starts with step one. And step one is submitting our lives to God. And so he goes back here to Jude and he says this, I am a bondservant of Christ. He is my ruler. He is, he is the one that I follow and serve. Now here's what's interesting about Jude. This wasn't always the case. This is what I love about this. When Jesus was walking on the earth, do you remember what Jude said about Jesus? Anybody remember? He said Jesus is out of his mind. He thought Jesus was nuts. He's crazy. You, you read in Mark, it says that he thought, Mark 3.21, this guy's insane. You read in John 7, it says that the brothers of Jesus did not believe in him. So what changed? What made Jude go from somebody who thought Jesus was nuts to Jesus is his king? You want to know what changed? Are you ready for this? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The moment he, he, he saw Jesus was res resurrected from the dead, he says, you know what? He's going to be my king. He went from a doubter to a doulos. I tell people that all the time. I said, we, we, we met this waitress this week. It was interesting. She was a new age, could care less about anything, but very open, very open. And, and uh, me and Al were there, two Italians sitting there eating that old Chicago. By the way, old Chicago pizza is horrible. But anyway, oh, anyway. so... So we're in there, we're in old Chicago eating this pizza. I mean, I'm barely chewing it down. It's like eating a napkin. And um, she's talking away and all this, and she's talking this. And I, and I said to her, I said, you explain to me something. I said, how did I go from somebody who hated God to now preaching and loving God? Explain that to me. And she just stood there, and she had no answer. She had an answer for everything else but that. Here is Jude. He hated, he, he thought his brother was nuts. And now he calls his brother, he says, he's my king, I'm a bondservant of him. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, how God can change lives. Yes. Look at this here. He says, I'm a brother of James. He goes on to say that and he, he throws that. That's a, that's a weird way, but, but he's saying this, you know, you know, James was a prominent person. He was also the half brother of Jesus. And, and, and he says this, he goes, I, I'm a brother of James, and you know who James was. He was a pillar of the church, and James later on became, became that, and, and he was a half-brother of Christ. And, and what he's saying this is, James, if James was still around, James would probably be talking about these things. But James isn't around, so I'm going to talk about him. I'm going to mention him. 
And look what he says, who we are. Don't ever forget this. If somebody asks you, who are you? You should say these three things here in verse 1. This is who I am. I am called. You say, what, what, what is that? To those who are called. When, when God calls somebody, I'm here to tell you, when God calls somebody, they respond. This is not just a little invitation like calling somebody and saying, will you come here please? And they don't listen. Or the guy that was in Iowa, he was a nut job. He said to me, my dog listens to me every time I call her. Watch. And we go out there and a deer comes running by and there goes Lady. <laughs> and I can't forget the name, Lady. And he goes, watch this. Lady! 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 just kept going. Lady could care less about this guy. God doesn't do that. God doesn't say, Jeremy, Jeremy, Jeremy! Jeremy! Get here! No. When God calls Jeremy, Jeremy responds by His grace. Now, how does He do this? Here's what's amazing. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 for a moment. I want to show you this. We are called. This is beautiful, beautiful passage. We are called. What does that mean? How does God work this out? We are called through the gospel. Watch this here. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you. Notice how he's thanking God for them. Beloved by the Lord. Here's why. Because God has chosen you from the beginning. Now, this is beautiful because I love what, what, what Spurgeon says about this. I am so glad that God called me before the foundation of the world because God would have never called me after I was born. Look at this here. Amen. Beloved, chosen from the beginning for salvation. How does this work? Look at this in verse 13. Through the sanctification of the Spirit and faith in the truth. So what happens? Look at 14, verse 14. It was for this he called you through the gospel. So, so what, how does God do this? God puts somebody into our lives. They preach the gospel to us. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and helps us to realize that we're sinners in desperate need. And we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we are saved. People think... Well, God, since you're dead in your sins, he has to grab you and force you into his kingdom. No, that's not true. You know how God does it? He puts people into our lives who love us so much that they share the gospel with us. And you know how God does it? He waits and he wins. Yes. He beckons, he pleads, and we come. That's our God. That's an amazing God. And, and when he calls, here's what's great, we come. But nobody will ever be called if we don't preach the gospel. That's right. So somebody says, well, I, I, I'm just waiting for those elect people to get saved. Well, we need to preach the gospel. Paul said this, I go through all things so that the, the elect will be saved. And so we preach the gospel to people. But as we do, we allow God to work. This takes the monkey off our backs. How many unsaved people do we know that we're just dying for them to get saved? And we try to plea with them and we try to manipulate and do things. No, we got to let God work. 
And I'm here to tell you, when God works, they'll get saved. It's God. He's the one that gives the increase. And so we take that monkey off our back. We preach the gospel. We allow the spirit of God to work. And the people put their faith in God and they're saved. Jude says, don't forget that. Going back to Jude. He says, you are called. Somebody came into your life and preached the gospel and you responded by God's grace and you are saved. You are called. And here's what you are. He wraps two words around that in verse 1. You are not only called, but you're beloved in God. God loves you and we can't earn that. We, he doesn't love us more one day and love us less the next day. He loves us. Yes. Here's what's amazing about it. Jesus said this, if you love me, my father will love you. And then he says this, which blows me away. He says this, the same way that my father loves me. This is Jesus talking. And he says to his disciples, my father loves you. Yes. Think about that. He loves us the same way he loves his son. That's incredible to think about. Jude says, in the midst of all that you're about to see in apostasy, remember that you're called. Remember that you're loved. And don't ever forget this. Remember that you're kept. That somebody has an eye on you that's carefully watching you and guarding you. What he is saying in this verse is that we are secure in Christ. We are reserved. We are okay. We are kept. He uses this word often. I want, I want you to look at it here in the, in, the, in the same book here in Jude. Notice verse 6. It says this. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Look at verse 13. Wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been what? Reserved forever. Here's what he's saying. The angels that sinned have been kept for eternal judgment. And in the same way, those who put their faith in Christ are kept for salvation and glorification. Wow. We're kept. We're kept. We're loved. We're reserved. We're kept by the very power of God. Now, no matter how things go and no matter how hard it gets and it's getting harder and harder and I'm tired and we're tired and, 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 it's just, and people are listening to all these things and you're saying, why are they going this way? Remember this. Remember that we've been called. Remember that we're loved. And remember that we're kept. We're safe. Yes, yes. That the whole world can fall apart. But we're still kept in the very hand of God. I'm so glad because I'm so weak. I wish I could say I'm strong. I'm not. I have those moments where I'm prone to wander. I feel it. All the goodness of God. I think about what my kids would think if I walked away from the faith. What people around me would think. I feel so weak at times. I wonder, Lord, am I really going to make it? <laughs> and then I come to this and I realize I'm kept. It's not about me. It's about Him. We're, we're loved. Don't forget that. People are trying to live to earn His love. You can't earn that. 
We were called. We came by the gospel. You say, that's great, Jeremy. So how does that benefit me now? Well, thanks for asking. It's right here in the text. He's going to tell us three things that benefit us right now. Look at this. This is beautiful. He goes, you're called, you're loved, you're kept, you're safe. But there's something that every day in our lives we can have right now, that we can experience right now, that we need right now. Notice this in verse 2. Don't miss these three things. Because we need them. Every one of us needs these. He says, may mercy, first word, I love that, divine pity. It, it assumes that we know that we're helpless. Do you know that? Sometimes we think we're so strong. Oh, I'll never fall away from God. Remember when Peter said that? Even if all forsake you, I won't do it. Come on, Peter. We need divine pity from God. We need his mercy. You know what we need from God to do every day of our lives? Not give us what we deserve. How foolish it is of us to wake up in the morning and think if we have our devotions, we deserve a good day. We deserve the very pit of hell. Don't ever miss that. And anything good that happens during the day is by his mercy and grace. I've never earned it. I don't think if I just do everything right, my kids are going to turn out. If my kids turn out right, it is by his mercy and his grace. Yes. Sometimes we put too much on us. We need divine pity every day. People get so upset that they don't deserve things. I don't deserve to get a flat tire going to work. I don't deserve to have a boss like that. Some even get personal with them. I don't deserve a spouse like that. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve that. I'm here to tell you, praise God you don't get what you deserve. If you got what you deserve, it'd be the pit of hell. Anybody want what they deserve? <laughs> Things change. But divine pity we get every day of our lives. Yes. I was reminded of this as a little kid. When my brother came home barefoot one day from school. Somebody beat him up and took his shoes. Welcome to New York City. <laughs> and... They found the guy, and the cops called, and they said, we got the guy, we got him at the police station, will you come down and press charges? So we went down there, and I thought my father was going to let him have it. I thought my brother was going to beat the guy up. I thought this was going to be great. We go in, the guy's got cuffs on, he's sitting there, little, he was a kid too, he got cuffs on, and my father goes like this to the cops, we're not going to press charges. Not only that, let the kid have the shoes. I said, Dad, they're not his. How can you do that? He beat up my, your son, my brother. Let him have it. No, Jeremy. We're going to give him the shoes. We're not going to press charges. We're going to let him go. That, my friends, is pity. Yes. And praise God, every day of our lives, we have divine pity. He looks at us, says, boy, that guy is weak. That girl is weak. But I'm going to have pity on them. He's going to withhold what we deserve. You know, Paul stayed in the ministry because of the mercy of God. He says, because of the mercy of God, we don't quit. We want to quit, but we forget the very mercy of God. Don't forget that every day of our lives, we have his divine pity and those who need it. Look at this here. So we look upward for a divine pity. Look else. We look inward for peace. We have peace. 
Somebody says, I have no peace in my life. Well, here's why you don't have any peace in your life. Philippians 4, 6 is very clear. Be anxious for what? For nothing. The moment we worry, we lose our peace. It's easy for me to preach that. Last night was prom. Johnny was out. And uh, I said, I'm going to bed at 10 o'clock. He's fine. He's outside. He's, he'll be okay. 10.30, I'm up. Is he home yet? All right, I went back to sleep. 10, 11 o'clock, I'm up. Is he home? Is he all right? No, no, he's not. Go back to sleep. 11.30, is he, is he home yet? No, he's not. Midnight, is he home? Where is this kid? No peace. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was nervous. These cadets, they laugh because they get home at 3 in the morning. But anyway... <laughs> Fathers worry about you guys. We love you guys. I even worry about you guys. But let me tell you how D.L. Moody says it this. You want peace? Here's three things you need to do. This is very clear. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Thank God for anything. Yes. Can we live like that? Can we worry about nothing, pray about everything, and then thank God for anything? We have peace. And then notice this. We have love. Not only the love of God that pours through us, but love as we love other people. He says, I don't want this just to be added to your life. I want this to be multiplied in your life. I want this to fill your life. I want you to be filled with the mercy of God. I want you to be filled with the peace of God. I want you to be filled with the love of God. I want you to live that kind of life in the midst of all the things that are going on. And boy, is he going to talk about it. Is he going to go back to the Old Testament and talk about how the angels have fallen? As he's going to go back to the Israelites, how they've fallen and talk about it. How he's going to talk about the New Testament and people are preaching things that, that aren't glorifying God. But he says, in the midst of that today, right now in your life, you can be filled with the mercy of God. You can be filled with the peace of God. You can be filled with the love of God. So the question is, are you? You say, um, sometimes, once in a while. Now, it's easy in the church building. But at work, in school, are you thinking about the mercy of God in school? You're like, man, I don't deserve this exam. Yeah, you deserve hell. A lot worse than that exam. Are you thinking about that in the home or at work? Are you thinking about the peace you can have when you worry about nothing, pray about everything, thank God for anything? Is love flowing through you? Here's what one person said. We need to be looking upward, inward, and outward. We need to be living our lives right now. Because of no matter how hard it gets, nobody can change who we are in Christ. Nobody. So live out that identity. Remember, you're called, you're loved, and you're kept. Yes. And let those truths encourage your heart today. Let's pray. Father, it's easy in this building to say, oh, wow, we got mercy, we got peace, we got love. It's so hard when we leave here to live that out. So remind us, Lord, of these three great truths that we talked about today. 
Remind us of our identity in Christ. Remind us that we're called, that we're loved, that we're kept. Remind us of your divine pity. You hold back what we really deserve every moment of our lives. If you wanted to, right now, you could send each one of us to the pit of hell, but you don't. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, the peace that's available to those who pray about everything, worry about nothing, thank you for anything. That is so hard to do. We want to take things on ourselves and figure out how to control them. It's so hard to release them into your hands. Lord, help us to remember the love that we have that's been poured out in our hearts by the Spirit. That we ought to love one another in the midst of a world that redefines love. Help us to truly, biblically love one another. To care for souls. To care for people. God, I pray, Lord, that you help us to be a bondservant. We want to call the shots. We want to serve our way. But that's not a bondservant of Christ. A bondservant of Christ is, Lord, you're the ruler. You do with my life what you want. You take my life. Here it is. Whatever you want to do with my life, I'm here to serve you. In the little things, the big things, whatever it may be, I'm yours. I pray that that's the desire of each heart here today. And if not, that right now in their hearts they will say to you, Lord, I am yours. You're my king. You're the ruler. You call the shots. You have every right. Use me in your kingdom and for your glory. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name and for his glory. And all God's people said. Amen. 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 If you would please stand with us.